Welcome to your daily cup of true crime in 15 minutes or less from Hot Crime Cold Coffee. Listener discretion advised due to sensitive material and some violence. These daily episodes are brought to you Monday through Friday in addition to our regular weekly episodes that you can find on Wednesdays and Fridays. Today is Friday, November 4th, and yesterday's true crime trivia question was, who was the youngest death row inmate that was executed? And the answer to that question is George Stinney Jr. George Stinney Jr. was executed on June 16th, 1944 at the age of 14. In the murders of Betty June Binnaker and Mary Emma Thames in his hometown of Alcalu, South Carolina. He was convicted, sentenced to death, and executed all in less than two months. In 2014, after the case had been reexamined, And a judicial review had been made. The charges were vacated and his murder conviction was overturned. Part of it was because he had received an unfair trial, but also there had been other suspects per se and enough information to determine that it was highly unlikely that he was the one to do it. You have to remember that this was back when racism was still very rampant in the United States, particularly in the South, and segregation and things like that. And it, the bodies were found on the black part of town and immediately you know they law enforcement started looking for someone who was african-american because of where the bodies were found the girls had been riding their bicycles looking for flowers And they had passed the Stinney's property. Apparently, they had asked Stinney and his sister if they knew where to find Maypops, which is another name for passion flowers. According to Stinney's sister at the time that the police established the murders had occurred, she was with him. But because... Law enforcement focused on Stinney because he was one of the last people to see her or acknowledge that he saw them, not her, them, two victims. They arrested him. They also said that he had confessed to the murders, but he may not have. He wasn't allowed to see his family. He could not have any contact with them 
until after he was convicted, which was less than two months later. His brother John had also been arrested, but John was released and they kept George because of the false confession or alleged confession because he may not have even confessed, but law enforcement also stated that he led them to the murder weapon. So many things went wrong with this case. He was tried before an all-white jury. Several of the people on the jury were directly or indirectly related to the two victims. And it's possible that one of the jurors was related to another possible white suspect. The only people that were aware of his confession and alleged leading law enforcement to the murder weapon were only law enforcement. His parents, again, had no contact with him until after his conviction. His court-appointed counsel was a tax commissioner who was campaigning for election to local office, and he did not challenge anything that the police officers said for fear of not, for it affecting, he didn't want it to affect his campaign. He also did not challenge the prosecution's presentation of two versions of Stinney's verbal confession. There is no written or signed record of Stinney's confession except for Deputy Deputy Newman, who is one of the investigators, his statement is basically the only thing that ties back to a possible confession. In 2004, a local historian started researching the case, and in 2014, it was requested that a new trial occur or be opened. Instead... Rather than approving a new trial, the judge vacated the conviction. A huge part of it was because that he had received an unfair trial. He was 14 years old and his execution was considered cruel and unusual punishment. And there was no justification of why a 14-year-old child was charged, tried, convicted, and executed in less than 80 days. And there was a lot of new evidence, including conflicting witness statements. At the time, the community and his family had hinted at who the possible murderer was, that it was a very influential and prominent white person whose family was extremely wealthy from the community. But back then, you, if you were African American, you had to be careful what you said because you could be lynched. Um, you could get a visit from the KKK. It 
there was so much hate back then towards African-Americans and something like this just stirred the pot. Many people think that it was possibly George Burke Jr. And there are rumors that he, before he died, because he died only a short time later, that he had given a deathbed confession. Whether he did or didn't, his family is essentially the only one that knows. And if he did admit to it before he died, then his family are, they're taking it to their grave. Today's true crime trivia question is, which killer who escaped on December 7th, 1973 is on the U.S. Marshals' 15 Most Wanted Fugitives list, and I'll have the answer for you on Monday. Today in true crime history on November 4th, 1973, Laura Odell, 21, went missing. Her body was found three days later at the Golden Gate Park. Her father at the time initially offered a $1,000 reward, and to this day, they have not found her murderer. She was found behind the boathouse at Stowe Lake at the park, and her hands were tied behind her back, and the cause of death appeared to be from head injuries or strangulation. It's possible that she was the victim one of the victims in the Santa Rosa hitchhiker murders it's a series of murders of at least seven unsolved homicides involving female hitchhikers in Sonoma County and Santa Rosa in California in 1972 and 1973 there were multiple suspects of these murders including the Zodiac Killer, Arthur Lee Allen, Ted Bundy, Frederick Minali, the Hillside Stranglers, and Jack Boken. But to this day, it's unknown who the murderer was in these cases, and they remain unsolved. Just a quick trigger warning, the next part of this episode does involve infanticide. You may want to just skip to the next episode. A woman named Ashley Bush was reported missing on Monday. She was 31 weeks pregnant and she was found yesterday. Her unborn fetus was found the day previously and also found deceased. According to the press release, she had initially gone to meet up with a woman named Lucy that she had met on a Facebook group who was going to take her to a job interview about 30 miles away. She may have been lured also with the promise of baby clothes. Nowadays, it's pretty common 
for expecting mothers to look for gently used baby items on Facebook groups. A married couple, Amber and Jamie Waterman, have been arrested and jailed on first-degree kidnapping. They have not yet been charged with murder. It is suspected that they may have kidnapped her with the intentions of stealing her unborn baby and passing it off as their own. There have been two other similar incidents that I'm aware of that have happened in the last two years. Both of those incidents were in Texas. In a previous daily, I had mentioned that Taylor Renee Parker had been convicted of the murder of Reagan Michelle Simmons Hancock, which happened in October of 2020. She actually knew Reagan and had been the photographer at her wedding. Taylor had actually faked a pregnancy for nine months, including a fake sonogram, a gender reveal party, and medical issues related to her pregnancy. Her sentencing will be later this week. There's another case also out of Texas, which is very similar. It is the murder of Heidi Broussard and the abduction of her infant daughter. Her daughter was only a few weeks old at the time, and her friend, Megan Humphrey, also known as Megan Firamuska, murdered her friend and kidnapped the infant, passing her off as her own. Again, a woman with a fake, fake pregnancy who tries to steal a baby. Luckily, in this situation, little baby Margot was fine and returned to her family after Megan Faramuska was arrested. That case was from December of 2019. So that's three cases of women that have been murdered for their infants, allegedly for their unborn, or in Heidi Boussard's case, newborn infants. Do note, Megan Humphrey has still not gone to trial and is innocent until proven guilty. Angie and I have often mentioned that there is a special place in hell for people who murder children, especially parents who murder their children. But I think that there is an extra special place in hell for these women that have not only murdered pregnant women, but also the unborn infants, because that's what it is. It's murder as well. I don't always agree with the death penalty, but I do believe in some cases it is justified. Taylor Parker is facing the death penalty and she's in Texas, so I'm assuming that Megan Humphrey or Farah Muska will also be facing the death penalty. 
Tune in later this evening for our regular podcast episode. We recorded them back to back. So they might be a little off with the headlines and such, but it was just easier for us to do it that way. And that's it for today's daily. We'll have another daily for you on Monday. Have a happy weekend.